0: What is the difference between a mentor and a coach? We'll look at that today in our coaching tip for the week. And in our interview segment today, we have Steven Friedman. Steve is an executive coach and consultant, and one of my favorite human beings in the planet. We've known each other since 2016, and during that time, I met him in accomplishment coaching where he was training to become a coach. Now Steve has had several professions. He was the president of Pace University from 2007 to 2017, and he served as the dean of the Elizabeth Haub School of Law at Pace University. He was a well-established lawyer and created many, many breakthroughs for people in the world, and now is a coach and consultant for Open Mind Associates. I hope you enjoy the episode today and remember that something powerful resides within you. I'm here to support you in seeing it and creating it. difference between a mentor and a coach? Oftentimes when I'm first looking to work with a client or an organization, they come to me and they ask about consulting or mentorship versus a coach. And many times people don't know the difference. So I like to think of a mentor as someone who is going to give me advice. So someone typically who I've looked up to or has had longevity in a business that I'm looking to have some success in or anyone who's willing to develop me through encouragement and advice, just straight up advice. A coach is going to ask you questions. That's my whole job is to ask you questions, to elicit what's inside of you, to bring out your knowledge and your wisdom. And I never give you advice unless you ask, you might ask my opinion, (laughs) but I very rarely will say yes to that. And when I do, I label it as my opinion. I think this is important to know the difference because you can get value from both. And if you know what you're looking for, you can utilize your support system and the tools that each person provides differently. I might need advice on how to buy a house or what the real estate market is like right now, but I also might need someone to just hold up a mirror and ask me questions when it comes to believing in myself or creating something for my business that I need to access my intuition for. So, coaching can be used for all kinds of things, and mentorship can be used for all kinds of things, and I encourage you to explore both. There's always
1: gonna be something-
0: Thank you so much for being with me today. I am so excited for everyone to meet you and hear who you are. Um, You, to me, are an incredible soul. You are a leader and somebody who I just deeply, deeply respect and admire. So thank you for being here.
2: Well, I'm delighted to be here, Elena. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Well, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about who you are? Like what your background is and how you got to where you are today?
2: For the last four or five years, I've been an executive coach for both companies and nonprofits. Um, I spent most of my career as a lawyer. I was a partner in a large law firm in New York. I left that firm uh, four or five times for government service in Washington, uh, and then to be general counsel of two large financial institutions. But I kept coming back, and happily, the firm kept taking me back. (laughs) Uh, And then um, I retired in 2004, uh, and became Dean of Pace University's Law School, which I thought really was my last job. Um, And I loved that. And I did that for three years. And then um, through a variety of problems, the university as a whole was experienced. I became president virtually overnight Wow. Um, And I did that for 10 years. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And then I retired again (laughs) um, in 2017, which brought me to what I'm doing today.
0: What an incredible journey. Do you want to tell everybody how we know each other? Do you remember how we met?
2: Yes. Um, So when I became president of PACE, I was on a virtually vertical learning curve. I really knew very little about the university as a whole, other than the law school. And I hadn't really thought about particularly undergraduate education since 1959 when I graduated from college. (laughs) So I needed all the help I can I could get. And um, I met a fellow who was an executive coach. And although he didn't know anything about higher education either, he was an enormous help to me. Um, And as I thought about what I was going to do after I retired as president, because I thought 10 years was about the right time. Um, I thought that um, being a coach would be a continuation of a high-level view of what I'd been doing all my life, which was basically helping people and bringing my experience and whatever talent I had to help them. So in my last year as president, I took a year-long coaching class with accomplishment coaching. And um, you were part of the faculty. (laughs) I was. And then at, uh, at the end, you were assigned to me as my <laughs> mentor coach. Uh, and we've been together ever since.
0: We have, and I love it. That was, and you said that was in 2017, right? Yeah. 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. So yeah, six years now. I'm very honored. Well, and I just remember when I first met you, Steve, number one, you were super distinguished, walking into a room, clearly had an entire... Two careers that were incredible. And when I when I was told that I would get the honor of coaching you, I had this moment and I said, Who am I to be coaching such an incredible human being? And right. I, that
2: thing uh, didn't show at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's good. I had my game face on. <laughs> but I, I remember being so scared and thinking, there's no way I can coach this gentleman. Uh, I don't have anything to offer him. And that's something that I really have to thank you for because you were a huge gift to my growth and development as well. And because of you, you know, now I walk into any room and can coach any executive uh, because of our work together and everything we've learned together as partners. So well, thank you.
2: It's a it's a mutual admiration society <laughs> uh, that you and I have, Elena.
0: Yeah, we do. We do. We are good, good friends. All right. So let's talk a little bit about reinvention. So what did it take to reinvent multiple times in your career?
2: It really um, began with the time I was in college and law school. Um, And as I thought about uh, who I admired, and whose career I wanted to emulate. This was a long time ago. I mean, so I, I graduated I graduated from college in 1959. So I was really part of the post-World War II generation. And the people I admired were um, those who had careers, many of whom were lawyers in which they went back and forth between um, private practice and government service, people like Dean Acheson. And I didn't think I was like Dean Acheson, and I wasn't at all, but that pattern really fascinated me. I And, and indeed, um, I began my career by spending a couple of years in Washington. And then I went to the firm, became a partner, and went back to Washington. Um, And so I thought of myself in terms of changing what I was doing. It took me a while to recognize this in myself, but basically I thought of my professional life in terms of seven or eight year hunks of time and i found that um at the end of seven or eight years i would start hankering to have different experiences meet new people learn about new things and really grow in that way now when you do that you you often end up doing something you have no idea how to do Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and (laughs) um, one of the things i learned is that and and this was in many ways the most important lesson of my professional life is that there's nothing to be scared of Mm. um and i mean I said a lot of stupid things (laughs) in my new jobs because I knew so little about them. Mm -hmm. But nothing happened. It was just fine. (laughs) So I became, if I were expert at anything, I became expert at navigating the minefields and pitfalls of starting in a wholly new environment. Um, As I tell a lot of my clients, um, there's nothing to be worried about. You just um, assemble everything you've done, all your experiences, um, your successes, and your failures, what you learned from your failures, in a new mosaic that it's the new challenges you're facing. And I love that and (laughs) I still love it. I love, you you know, I, I told someone when I finished the accomplishment coaching course and I retired from Pace, it was kind of like graduating from law school and opening an office all by yourself and hanging out your shingle I, you know i had no clients yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and i had some coaching experience in the course i'd taken but talking about self-doubt i mean i really thought um uh, who am i to to help people transform their professional lives or deal with the biggest challenges they're facing. And one of the nice things about it was that I learned I could be really helpful. And it's it's that um, feeling of really being able to add something, to other people's lives, not by telling them, but by helping them discover themselves. that has been so really wonderful about the coaching experience I've had.
0: That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing all the ins and outs of it, because you paint a picture, I think, that most coaches experience, you know, that's what it feels like to really let go and surrender and be with people. and what I love about what you shared is that you're practicing what you invite others to practice as well at every turn you're never not learning or growing yourself and that's just a beautiful a beautiful gift especially this is your well it's not really your third career it's a, it's more like your fourth career right how many careers would you say you've had at this point Steve
2: <laughs> <I haven't, laughs> um, Probably. Four or five?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I thought I was higher. (laughs)
2: Some some were very short. Um, Yeah. When I left to become general counsel of uh, first a large securities firm, Mm -hmm. I sold it in two years, and that that was the end of my career in the securities business. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Short-lived.
2: I love this. uh, Probably, I think of it in terms of four or five
0: times. Yeah. Well, you and I also talk a lot about leadership in the world, especially because we both coach executives that are in different spaces. And I'm curious what you see for today's version of leadership versus maybe 50 years ago when we, when people were talking about leadership before. What What are some of the main differences in leadership that you see today?
2: Well, probably, probably the the biggest difference is a um, movement away from top-down command and control structures, which um, was really a product of the industrial revolution and um, the the first development of management theory. The idea was that the people at the top knew best uh, and everyone's job was to execute what they said. Execution is still incredibly important, but the world and business have become so complex and so fast moving and so changed. And the pace of change is so rapid that uh, there's an incredible premium based on hiring the right people, developing a sense a mutual sense of trust in those people, and delegating everything you can i mean when when I talk to CEOs and this this extends, by the way, to to everything to nonprofits. I, I remember a conversation I had with the rector of probably the richest single church in America, and he told me he had a coach, and he handed me a, a sheet of paper that had. His objectives. Amazing. (laughs) 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 Yeah. He
0: has a coach.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He was a great guy. (laughs) And number one on his list was set aside more time to spend on strategic issues. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, I laughed and I said to him, you know, that's number one on the list of every CEO in America.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and it's the change that's so important, I think, is lifting the senior management role uh, out of the execution area, unless you're in a workout or something like that. and doing the things that only the most senior people can do, particularly coming to understand the external environment, being able to predict what's around the corner, even one year out, and adjusting the organization to be prepared for that. Um, And so I, I think that's the biggest change.
0: Beautiful. And what's the biggest piece of advice you would give C-suite leaders right now outside of that one piece of more time for strategic development and bringing the senior management team up with you? Is there any other advice you'd give them?
2: I tend to think of this in terms of the transition from being a professional even in a business organization or in a a non-profit like a a university, for example, and being the the real leader. Um, And that is that professionals rise and fall based on what they do. And leaders Rise and fall, based on what they lead other people to do,
0: oh, that's such good gold yes
2: <laughs> that that and you shouldn't do things just because you can do them better, yeah yeah um, and as someone comes up the ranks, for example um where they've been really effective at doing whatever they're doing, all of a sudden they were in the role where they're not supposed to do anything. Um, And it's a question of, I mean, in many ways, the people you hire and promote is that's the most important thing you do because those are the people who get Everything done, and then building trust, being authentic, giving credit to the people who actually accomplish things, uh, make most failures a learning experience rather than uh, an occasion for criticism. I mean, those are. That's that's not a. Those aren't separate things. They're all part of building a great organization and making it successful.
0: Well, and I love that you said they all work together because I notice when one of them is out for somebody, you know, it, it can tug on the other pieces that you described. For instance, a lot of my clients that I'm speaking to now trust, there are breakdowns in trust everywhere from the past two years, right? From everything we've gone through. And yet, when they don't remember that even that, the breakdown in trust is a learning experience, and they can choose who they be about it, right, from a place of growth and learning and development, they forget that piece. And so then it becomes I'm, a <laughs> a right-wrong conversation. Yeah.
2: It's a, it's a sad learning experience.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a sad learning experience. Yes. That's, that's a good way of putting it. And I don't mean to make light of it, but there are a lot of people that are are there, and I think that the more compassion and kindness they can bring to themselves to try again over and over, to readjust that that's okay versus it being wrong. Right. Yeah. What would you say to leaders who are looking to rebuild trust with their people right now? Is there any specific place you'd have them start?
2: Uh, I'm not sure I understand that question.
0: Yeah, If, if people don't have trust among the team, as leaders, where might no. they start rebuilding trust?
2: The first question is why there isn't any trust. Well, first of all, is it is it emanating from the leader or is it emanating from the, the senior team? And if it's emanating from the leader, um, then what I would do as a coach is explore why he or she feels that way. If it's emanating from the senior team, then it's usually because of the way the leader is acting. And the leader is taking credit for everything uh, the leader blames other people for the failure of his own decisions. Uh, the leader is inauthentic, is a big phony, and I would start by doing um, a kind of personal brief 180 of the senior team, and then reading back to the leader exactly quotes quotes of what people are saying. Because if instead of doing that, you report um, the typical response is, well, that's all wrong.
0: Right. They dispute it.
2: That's all wrong. But if they're quotes, It doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong, it's what people think.
0: Exactly.
2: And the question is, what can the leader do about that? And that's largely a matter of communication, keeping his or her word, um, giving credit, um, and bringing that issue out on the table.
0: Mm-hmm. This is really beautiful, Steve, because I really hear the, the uh, meeting people where they're at in that comment. And what I mean by that is, um, again, we were talking about coming from a place of being right about something or wrong about something and completely stepping out of that and just simply saying, this is how people are feeling and let's explore that together instead of, you're wrong. <laughs> That's not true. You don't feel that um, way.
2: I mean, I can tell you a a brief story about myself. please. So when I was, this is when I was president of of Pace University early in my time. And after about nine months, um, I asked a coach to do a, a 180 and interview everybody. And one of the comments that came back was, Steve's a smart guy, he makes up his mind quickly. And when he makes up his mind, he stops listening. Now, nothing could be further from the truth, really. But, And I puzzled a lot about that. And I, I realized that what was going on is that at our management committee meetings, I was frustrated by the fact that everyone was talking to me instead of to each other. And I, I finally got what I thought was a truly brilliant idea, which is when someone started to talk, I would look down and then they would have to talk to each other because I wasn't looking at them. The fact is, everyone saw this as, he's not listening to me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And instead of being a brilliant idea, it was really one of the dumbest things I've ever done.
0: Oh, my gosh. And how many of us have things like that that we're not aware of either, right? That we're doing from a physicality standpoint that I mean, I remember I had a friend similar who, when he would listen to people speak, he would turn his head to the right and put his ear forward and he would look oh, at you, oh, so
2: we could hear on better. the side,
0: yeah, the side of his eyes. But it would look like he was turning away and having an attitude or something. You know, and and it took me a long time to realize, oh, he just needs to, he, he actually can't hear unless he turns a certain way. You know, and so um, that goes to the authenticity piece that you mentioned with leaders. Like how authentic can they be with sharing with people what they're doing, right? Imagine mm. in that moment.
2: I think, Elena, one, one of the hardest things for leaders and particularly for CEOs is to understand how they're viewed. And that's the great benefit of 180s and 360s. And in a really large company, one of the problems is everything conspires, everybody conspires to make the CEO happy. And it's very hard for the CEO to get candid feedback. And it's so critical to leadership.
0: Yeah, yeah. So feedback, ask often and don't be afraid of it.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I used to tell people, It doesn't feel good, but it's really
0: helpful. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of things in life we could compare that to. (laughs) That's so good. All right. Let's see, Steve. I want to know a little bit more about you. So what do you think your superpowers are as a coach?
2: My superpower? I don't have any superpowers.
0: Oh, my goodness. No superpowers (laughs) as a coach?
2: I think what's special about me as a coach is... um, is that I've I've had, compared to most coaches, an extraordinarily varied set of experiences. I mean, in in addition to the jobs I've had, I've I've served on probably 10 different kinds of uh, nonprofit boards. I've been chair or vice chair of many of them. I've been um, through a lot of real crises on both the nonprofit side and the corporate side. So I really combine traditional uh, ontological coaching, which... Is focused very heavy, heavily on high level questions and getting your client to think through. i don't I don't ever or hardly ever <laughs> tell my clients what I think they should do. But I use that experience to suggest a broader range of options or possibilities that are open to them, and I tell a lot of stories, probably too many,
1: uh,
2: about my own experience and often my own failures uh, because, you know, everybody has a lot of failures in their life. And, um, my basic message is it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. You just pick yourself up and keep going. Those personal stories are a very powerful way to communicate.
0: Mm-hmm. And allowing them be part of you instead of something you must remove. That's really beautiful. What dreams do you still have for yourself? <laughs>
2: Well, you know, I'm I'm um, I'm wrestling with that. I'm um, I just turned 84.
0: Congratulations! Um, yeah. <laughs> we celebrate that all the time. The good calls. thing
2: is that I have a 93 year old older sister
0: mm-hmm.
2: who is a psychoanalyst and still has about 15 patients.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so. So you got Um, a ways
2: to go. I'm at a very different stage in my life. And so I wrestle with how I should spend my time, why I'm doing what I'm doing. I love, I have a lot of terrific grandchildren. Uh, I love spending time with them. And I'm close to them. But you know, they have their own lives, and um, I don't. I don't want my life. My family is very important to me. I, my wife and I started going out in high school, <laughs>
0: <laughs> which is beautiful. And
2: we've been married for sixty plus years, and uh, it's a terrific partnership, but she, she has her own life too. (laughs) So I don't know the answer to your question, but um, I, I really, I love coaching. Um, I love learning to enjoy life, that part of my life where I'm not working. Um, I mean, that was a big, step for me because I've I've worked very hard and intensively most of my life and um, I remember once when I was still at pace I'd gone through a period where I was working terribly hard and I decided I would take a four-day weekend so I got up my wife got up, she she went off to work, and I was all alone in the in the apartment. And I thought to myself, what do I do now?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I sort of and I realized that I had to create a new structure for my life. That all of my life there'd been an external structure my clients, the company I was with, the job I had in government, uh, all of that was gone. Um, And I could, in theory, have as many clients or as few clients as I want. I say in theory because I have a relatively small number of clients, and that serves my purpose. It was all a matter of choice. Um, And I didn't know how to make those choices.
0: Yeah, and now you have so many tools where that's what I love about this conversation is even though you're still in the inquiry of the question and discovering what you want, you're so able and willing to explore having the experience of your life differently than what you've had in the past,
1: which is really beautiful.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, you have been so generous with your time, Steve. So I think one of the last questions I have for you is what do you hope for the future? If you were going to send the future off in the next year, everybody in the world with something that you would say to them, what would you say to the world?
2: I would say to the world that, um, the world is a real mess and that we really need to focus on ending these very sharp cultural divisions in america Um, we need to rethink our position of leadership in the world but um and how we do it but we need to remain as leaders we need to um, deal with our environmental problems i mean there was an article in the times the other day that said that the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is the highest in the last four and a half million years or eight and a half. I forgot that mean but it was—it was mind-bending, and and it threatens everybody. We really need to de- to deal with these macro problems, and everybody has to find a way to be involved. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it takes everyone, right? Not just one person. Yeah. Well, Steve, thank you so much for for joining me today on the podcast. You are just a dear, dear soul. I love you so much. And I've told you this many times. I'm so grateful for what you're contributing to the world, to the leader that you are in the world, to the clients that you serve, the high level of um, integrity, love, wisdom, and compassion that you bring to them. It's really beautiful.
2: Thank you, Elena.
0: You're so welcome. Thank you for being with us.